Yo, yo, yo. What's going on? Welcome to episode 13 of the Been There, Done That podcast. It's kind of a weird time right now where there there's a, a handful of things going on in, in, in sports. And, you know, in terms of quantity. But it's like the quality of, of all those things is not necessarily on the same level, if that makes sense. I'll, I'll explain myself a little bit more as we move on and... Uh, this is what you can expect from this episode. This is what we're going to talk about. Um, we'll we'll do a quick little recap on the Masters, um, which was this past weekend, live from Augusta, Georgia, a tradition unlike any other. We'll go over it, talk about my reactions, what you know, what's going on in that world. We'll give a few NFL updates. Um, there are only a few, but we're going to go over them. And we'll we'll cover this week in the MLB uh, what's happened. You know, significant things that have happened between last Wednesday and today. And then I've got another video game recommendation, something I've been on recently, that I want to give another shout out to, another plug to, something I think is really cool. And I'm going to share that with you later on. And then as always, we will wrap it up with the office quote of the week, per usual. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right in. Honestly, in a really weird way, this was a uh, kind of a, a boring week where just in work, there wasn't a whole lot really going on. And then even in, in the sports world, I know the Masters was going on uh, and the NBA playoffs are kind of getting getting going with the playing game that the, the, the regular season finished up. Um, but but like I said earlier, there there are there are things going on, but. It just doesn't quite have the the buzz, you know, as as you feel in the NFL playoffs or in March Madness, maybe in years past or or whatever, maybe even in the World Series. I think part of it is probably the there's not a whole lot of connection between you know of people that are in the Masters that are there at the end of the tournament. We don't necessarily have the connection. Or we don't we we aren't as invested in it as we as we are when Tiger is there, you know. Um, and then with the NBA, just with the play-in game, while it's important, it doesn't necessarily feel all that important. Number one, a lot of people around my neck of the woods don't necessarily care too much about the NBA. One, I mean, for a handful of reasons, but I think the biggest one is we just don't really have a team in the area. I mean, here in Hot Springs, the closest team to us is the Mavericks. Um, Maybe the Thunder, I guess. They're probably relatively close too, but people just don't care too much about the NBA. Uh, same thing in, in Kansas City when I used to live there in Missouri and just the Midwest in general. There's not a whole lot of, you know, that's not to say nobody cares about the NBA. Like, I still keep up with it, and I have some friends that do, but just generally speaking as a whole, not a whole lot of people care too much about the NBA, so especially not the the play-in games, like teams that are most likely not going to advance too far in the tournament anyway. Um so in that sense, you know, between the Masters and then the NBA playing games, like then the MLB season starting, there's just not a ton of stuff going on that people are really invested in, at least in my world, it feels like. So all that to say, there, there are plenty of things going on and, and things we'll, we'll jump into, but it was it's kind of a relatively, you call it a downtime in the world of sports, at least for people in this area and what their interests are, so... Yeah, um, it, it's it's kind of a, a 
just another example of how much of a monopoly, I guess you could say, the NFL has on the the sports media, on the sports world. As I'm like, I saw a graphic at the end of the year. I think it was 81 of the top 100 televised events, or maybe it was top sporting events, like televised sporting events, belonged to the NFL. And that included a year where we had the World Cup, you know. Um, and so, were the Olympics last year? I don't even remember. I think they were. I think, I think we had the Winter Olympics last year. But again, that, that's kind of my point. We don't remember that. What we really remember is the NFL. The NFL is king in America. It's kind of kind of what I'm getting at. And in a time right now, you know, post-free agent opening or free agency opening and then pre-draft, we're in kind of a dead zone right now where there's not a whole lot going on. So it feels like just in the world of sports, not much is really going on. Um, so I find that interesting. That being said, we're kind of in a calm before the storm, both in my own personal world and in the world of sports, as in the draft is coming up soon. And I do think <clears throat> when we get to the draft, we're going to have a, a domino effect where I think that's what teams are waiting for at this point. You know, you know, just a week or two out from the draft, it's like we're, we're going to hold up on making any big time decisions until we get to the draft because you never know, like, there, there's probably going to be trades that happen on, on night number one, first round draft trades that teams aren't expecting right now, you know, and so it's kind of, it's just the wise thing to do to wait until after the draft is done and see what you have, what assets you've acquired, what players you've picked up, uh, and from there you go on and finish out and completing your roster as you get ready to head into summer camp, the mini, mini camp and OTAs that are really just a couple months away. Um, so that's why right now it feels a little bit like a dead time in the NFL, um, but not for long. And then even in my own personal life too, the, it's kind of the same thing around the same time as the draft starts is we have the first couple weeks of April. There's not a lot going on in the world of K life, but come next Friday, all that changes where it feels like everything, just a long chain of events that's never ending. And it's kind of crazy. Where we've got a big fundraiser next Friday, and then we've got a regional retreat the following week on Wednesday and Thursday, and then the following Saturday after that, we uh, we have a, a trip to Branson with our middle schoolers, and so that's all in like an eight day stretch where we're we got fundraisers, we're going out of town, we got big events, and then the following Saturday after that, we have a barn dance for our students, and so it's like in a two week stretch. We've got like four different big events and things to plan for, so there. So it's coming. We're in the calm before the storm right now. So I'm enjoying a little bit of peace before all that comes, and then you know when when that ends. After that, I mean, a week after that event on Saturday, I'm going to be back in Branson getting ready to to start staff training for for summer camp, which is just so weird to think about. Um, but so a lot of exciting stuff on the radar, um, and I'm looking forward to it. But we'll get there when we get there. You know, I'm going to focus on today because it is currently today. So with that being said, I do want to talk about the Masters just for a minute. Uh, so if you didn't follow along at all, I'll let you know. John Rahm, um, the Spaniard, claimed the green jacket this past weekend in Augusta. Um, he finished at 12 under, uh, had a good round, solid round four at three under um, to to claim the victory and the i think 
you could argue the bigger storyline here was Brooks Kepka kind of falling apart in the fourth round where he, he went into the day 11 under and then shot a three over um, there in round four to kind of fall out of the lead. And he kind of he gave it up, which it's a bummer. You know, you hate to see that happen, but it, 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 it happens. It's it's part of the game. Uh, we've seen it before. We'll see it again. Uh, Brooks Kepka being the most recent victim. Um, but it uh, golf is in, a, in an interesting place right now where you have, I mean, Rom and Kepka, the guys we're talking about right now, are two of the top players in the world. I'd have to double check. They might be the, actually number one and two ranked players in the world. I'd have to double check that. But we're, we're still in this, I guess you could call it post-dominant uh, Tiger era where it's like ever since then, ever since Tiger's accident, you know, he hasn't, obviously he hasn't been the same guy. You know, he's won a few tournaments here and there, but he's just not been the same Grand Slam Tiger that, you know, that we saw in the early 2000s. And he's at a point now, I don't, I just can't see a scenario where he, he gets back to that. That's not to say he can't be competitive in some tournaments here and there. But I think, you know, as we know, Father Time is undefeated. And his body, unfortunately, just isn't, really able to keep up very well at this point. Um, and he's just not able to stay healthy. And that's why he eventually did back out. Um, after the, there's a weather delay there uh, and round three that kind of postponed the, the end of round three into Sunday morning. And he was so far removed and had such a rough round. There was no way he was going to get back in it. So he, he withdrew there at the beginning of round four, I guess, Sunday morning, late round three. Um, which is a bummer because everyone loves to see Tiger do well, but again, the, the the reality is is like he's just probably getting a little too old, and I think it may just at this point, you can you can make an argument that Tiger at his peak was the best golfer we'd ever seen, right? He didn't have the longevity necessarily of Jack Nicklaus, but uh, I think at his peak he he was doing things we'd never seen before, and you can make a really good case he, that he's the best golfer we've ever seen. Um, you know, that's not a debate I'm going to have right now at this moment. I don't know enough about off the top of my head to, to make a definitive statement, but regardless, we, we've, we've seen the best from Tiger and he's got nothing else to prove, you know? And so if, if I were him, I'd probably want to, I might call, I might call it if I were him, but you know, that being said, I am not Tiger. I'm definitely not Tiger. And you know, maybe he's got something, something magical up his sleeve. Maybe he d- takes another year off, t- tries to find a way to get healthy again, goes through rehab. I I don't know what that looks like, but who knows? Um, but as but based on the way his body is is holding up right now, there's just there there's not another Tiger run in him like that, unfortunately. And so, with that, if uh, if the if the sport wants to get back to being you know having the hype surrounding it that it did when Tiger as his peak. It's probably going to have to find a new young player to kind of come and just take over the sport the way Tiger did, which right now we I'm not sure I'd, I would say we have that. There's plenty of good young players, obviously, but no one is has, has a stranglehold on the sport the way Tiger did. And so, yeah, I don't the I don't know. PGA has got some work to do in terms of getting people interested again. Um. So we'll see. We'll see what they do. And as far as the whole weekend in general, you know, 
it's always, I mean, anytime Jim Nance is announcing something, I think it, it's it's worth tuning in, you know, because he, he's as good as it gets when it comes to calling it. But the weekend itself, it was crazy, really. The the weather went, went from it was 80s on Wednesday and Thursday and then cooled off a little Friday. And then by Saturday, it was a turned into a rainstorm, dropped out, like wind chill was down into the 40s. And, um, and that's why they had to suspend play and then back up into the, getting sunny back in the 60s on Sunday, but really windy. And so just a crazy weekend, weather all over the place, and I did not envy the people who were there at all, <laughs> you know. Um, the I mean, th- those fans really have to be dedicated to to spend all that money to go watch this tournament and then just go sit in the freezing cold and the rain while watching you, these guys play golf. You know, props to them that, they, <laughs> that they're willing to, to sit through that. I don't know if I if I have it in me, you know. Maybe if it's nice weather, and I have a have some more money, better paying job someday down the road. I don't know, but uh, props to them for sticking through that, sticking it out, you know. Because if you love it enough, good for you. But anyway, that's the Masters. I I can't really give a whole lot of analysis on who played well or who did. I mean, here's the thing that I noticed above anything else: John Rom, the winner. When I when I really break it down, I, I'm I'm finding that he took less shots to get the ball into the hole than the other golfers did, and that's about as I mean, that's just my opinion. I can't I can't confirm that. Maybe you know maybe I can, but that that's what it really came down to is he took less strokes to to get the ball into the hole than all the other golfers did throughout the course of the weekend, and that's why he won. You know, and so there's your, there's your analysis, there's your hot take of the day on why John Rahm won the Masters and can't walked away with the green jacket. So good for him. Good for him. Moving on to the NFL. Again, not not a whole lot going on, but a few notable things did happen this week. Um, it was actually, I, it was like maybe an hour after my, you know, after I finished recording last week or at least within a day for sure, that the Chiefs went out and they signed Richie James, who is a receiver from the Giants, who are apparently now kind of a a feeder system into, you know, into the Chiefs organization, which is great. Um, but Richie James, another depth piece at receiver, you know, he's not a He's not a wide receiver one, but he had a really solid year with the Giants last year and in a situation where the Giants did not have any, they didn't have a wide receiver one, maybe a two or three, you could argue. They didn't have anyone like playing receiver, it felt like. And so it was up for grabs of like anyone on the roster that wants to come catch a pass, please come do it. And Richie James, he, he was the guy that kind of stepped up and and put together a pretty nice season, all things considered. Um and the Chiefs have went out and signed him. And I think he's also a guy you I would not be surprised to see get thrown into a, a, a return role. Because, you know, sure, Sky Moore had the big return in the playoffs. But I don't want to see him back there. Uh, and Kadarius Tony, based on what we're hearing, of course, he had that big return in the Super Bowl as well. But it sounds like the Chiefs are wanting him to be wide receiver one next season, right? So with that letting him focus on being wide receiver one not and not overusing, I guess, putting him in situations where he could potentially hurt himself again, you know, limiting his his productivity to, it doesn't sound good when you say it like that, limiting productivity, but 
limiting the scenarios where he could get hurt to where he's he's able to just focus on being a receiver and and maybe that'll help him build some consistency in terms of catching passes, you know. And so Richie James is one of those guys he might be able to come in and and be a returner. I think he's got some experience doing that. And so I would say don't be surprised if we see Richie James as the week one punt returner for the Chiefs. Um so yeah, we've got that. So again, not a not a deal, you know, not a blockbuster move by any means, but a, a good depth piece a, addition for the Chiefs. A, a guy who's not going to cost a lot of money, um, but a guy who who could be a, an important piece, you know, a piece of the puzzle for for the Chiefs and what they're trying to continue, what what they're trying to do in, in maintaining being, you know, the dynasty that team in the NFL right now. Um, so hope hopefully see hopeful to see how that. You know, hope, hopeful to see that go well for the Chiefs is what I'm trying to say. And then the other big thing, big um, news from the NFL this week was Odell Beckham Jr. signed a one-year deal with the Ravens. Um, I know a lot of people in the Chiefs kingdom were hoping to see OBJ come come play with Patrick Mahomes um, because he was a free agent, so there was no other previous contracts tied in. There was no trade you had to figure out for him. It was something you, if you if you could figure out, you could go sign him. And the thing is, the the Ravens, like I said, signed him for fifteen million for for one year, which is a lot for a guy who has not played in over a year. You know, um, and he's I think he's thirty one now. He's getting older. He's Something like that. He's in his 30s, um, which is typically when we see receivers start to fall off. Um, so 15 million is a lot of money to pay a guy. No, don't get me wrong; he's got a lot of talent, and he, he's he's done some great things in his career. Um, but it is a big risk to pay a guy at that age who has not played in over a year, um, especially in a system like that for the Ravens, where they're a run-first team. You know, and who knows what the Lamar thing how that's going to shape up if they do bring back Lamar they still I I can't foresee a a scenario where they're going to change up the offense again to make sure Odell Beckham Jr. gets his because you know they want to make sure Lamar Jackson's still got the ball in his hands and running it It's, it's kind of a weird thing so on one hand you could look at it as like a selling point for the Ravens to be like hey Lamar look we went out and got you some help we we you should come back um but on the other hand it's like does that really fit their their system, you know? So I don't know. Hard to tell what the Ravens' plan is at this point. Um, not that it really matters all that much anyway because the Chiefs still exist, and it's not like it, you know, not really, really matters what the Ravens are doing. All that's going to matter for, you know, that can be a, a significant, you know, a relevant discussion if you're talking about who's going to win the AFC North. You know, could, could someone finally challenge the Bengals after they'd kind of taken over the last couple of seasons? So... In that discussion, it might be interesting, but at the end of the day, there's there's no reason to believe the Chiefs aren't going to just kind of walk through the AFC like they normally do again next year. And, you know, so I'm looking forward to that. So that is your NFL update for the week. Still not a whole lot going on. Um, but once we hit the draft, there, I'm sure there will be a lot more to talk about. All right. So from the NFL, we move to the MLB, uh, where, where we're given a little recap of the past week which i think that might be the format we move moving forward of just like this week in the mlb um and so this week in the mlb 
this past week. It was like week two, or the second full week, I think, of the MLB. And uh, the, the biggest storyline here is the Rays are 11-0, and which is very impressive, obviously, to be undefeated. To win that many baseball games in a row is a lot. <laughs> um, again, I don't have the the exact reference in front of me, but I saw some the last team to start 11-0. I think there were a couple teams from like the 1800s or something like that, you know. So we're getting back into that range where if, if the teams that no one, none of us have ever heard of, players that I've never heard of, are great, great, great grandparents, things, you know, those people. Um, so we're it's in they're in some rarefied territory. Is kind of what I'm getting at here. Um, and I think the thing that they're about their their winning streak that has stood out to me more than anything else is in their 11 games. They're 11 and 0. In those wins. Only one of those games do they have a save, right? Meaning only one of those games have been won by three runs or less, which I think is kind of wild, <laughs> you know? Uh, I was looking, they have, I believe they have three holds, meaning at one point in the eighth inning, they were, at, you know, going into the eighth inning, they were up by three or less, but they went on in, you know, whether it was the bottom of the eighth or top of the ninth uh, to, to take the lead by more than three to make it so it's not a save situation, and so I found that to be pretty incredible, really, that of 10 of the 11 games have been won by relatively comfortable margins to where they're not even, they, they don't even go in for a save, you know, and that, so it's not like they're winning these games. They're not high pressure games or anything like that. You know, that being said, you look at the teams they've played, it, it's not like they've been playing the best teams in the league they've they've played the athletics who might be the worst team in the mlb they've played detroit who might be the worst team in the mlb and they've played washington who might also be the worst team in the mlb some all right these are some of the worst teams in the mlb that they've swept but still at the end of the day it's baseball you know and they like baseball's more than any other sport is one of those games like you just any given day any team can win like regardless of who who's playing or who's not like whatever um baseball is more of that way than any other sport in my opinion and so the fact that, you know they've gone 11 games without losing that like it's, it's impressive so props to the rays let's see if they can do it 162 you do that then i'll really be impressed um in other news in the mlb i wanted to talk about the royals for a minute now, granted, as we all know, the Royals are not good. They haven't been good since 2015, and it doesn't really look like they're getting better anytime soon. It's always, you know, oh, next year, um, as a fire truck drives by my house. I know if you can hear that. Um, you know, the Royals' motto is always next year. It's always the next year Royals, or or down the road, watch the development. So we know they're not great, but I do want to talk about a few just – very Royals-esque moments from the past week. And the last couple of days, actually, a couple of games that I was watching. And I'll start with this one. The game two nights ago. Um, just to give some context, there are currently two players on the Royals who have pitched at least one inning and have not given up an earned run. Okay, number The first one is Araldus Chapman, who has actually been excellent for the Royals this year. Um, so far, I mean, not exactly like he's in a lot of high-pressure scenarios, but when he's come in to pitch, he hasn't given up a run, and I believe it was in five innings. 
um, which is pretty impressive. The other player that has pitched at least one inning and not given up a run is Nate Eaton. And if you aren't familiar with who that is, he is a second baseman for the Royals, right? And so you might be able to see where I'm heading with this. The Royals in a game the other night were down, uh, what was it, 7-2, to 11-2? to They were getting smoked by the Rangers. Uh, and so Nate Eaton came in in the sixth inning and, you know, finished the game out for the Royals. And he, yeah, 11 to 2. There it is. They were down 11 to 2. And so they brought in Nate Eaton, their second baseman, to pitch. And he threw a scoreless inning. I think he gave up a hit, maybe two hits. Um, but it was it was kind of crazy because he came in. And it, sometimes when you see a position player come in to just kind of the mop up role like that, you, they'll come in, just, they're kind of messing around. They'll throw the ball, they'll lob it up, it'll cross the plate coming in at 72 miles an hour, whatever it might be. Not Nate Eaton. He came in, and I mean, this guy, he, he hit 95 on one pitch, right? And he was he was hitting corners. He At one point, he threw a cutter. Like, he, he, he was throwing pitches with movement on him, like in the low to mid-90s. Tossed a couple sliders in there. And I'm thinking, why isn't this guy pitching? Right? Like, I, I don't understand. I, I don't know. I, I, I get, oh, here comes the fire truck again. Um... There they go. I don't know if you heard that either. Uh, but back to the to Royals. Again, Nate Eaton is throwing 95 <laughs> off like a position player, a second baseman coming in to throw 95. You know, and they, and they were they were talking about on the broadcast that he he pitched in high school and he pitched in college and he was actually scouted as a pitcher. And the Royals were the one team that scouted him as a position player. Uh, oddly enough, and they of course now he's on the team as a position player. And, you know, not like he's done anything significant as a position player right now, but he came in as a pitcher and kind of shut it down for an inning, which is like, man, some maybe the Royals' best pitchers are in the field. So I don't know. I just thought that was kind of funny, which is it's like that is just a very Royals thing to have happen. Um, the other thing, the other game – I wanted to talk about for the Royals was it was actually last night's game where so they're going up against Jacob deGrom who if you're not familiar it has been the best pitcher in baseball for gosh I don't I mean probably five six seven plus years now um and he he's just been lights out you know for upward of pretty much a decade now in the MLB just you know what you're going to get from this guy he's going to come in he's going to throw seven plus innings uh, he's had his ERA has been in the two between two and three for the most part. And that it's just been consistently the best pitcher in baseball for a while. And he hasn't really slowed down at all. He's still that guy. And so the Royals right now who are far and away the worst hitting team in the MLB at this point, their team average is like 0.54 behind the 29th rated team. Yeah, so they, they can't hit the broads out of a barn right now. Uh, I think they have one starter who is hitting above 200, one or two starters hitting above 200. So we're going into this game thinking they're going, you know, the worst hitting team in the league going up against the best pitcher in the league. Probably not going to look, probably not going to go great. But, you know, as these things go, relatively speaking, they did not too bad as they went seven hits in, in seven innings and he gave up two runs. And they actually left uh, quite a few guys on base too. So like they, it could have been more, which that's a side discussion. That's been the problem for the Royals this year. 
uh, big time is leaving guys on base. Um, however, th- they did relatively well against DeGrom, where they, you know, like I said, two runs and seven, they had, they were in the game. They, they went to the eighth inning down two and they scored a run in the eighth and they went to the ninth down one. They scored in the ninth and they tied it and sent it to extras, right? So some timely hitting um, and got them through, you know, the start against Jacob DeGrom, who, like I said, best pitcher in baseball, and found themselves in a place that they still have a chance to win. And and they they send it to extra innings. And if you're not familiar with the new rules, I guess they were implemented last year or maybe the year before, of that now in extra innings, there is a runner that starts on second base um, just to, to speed the game up, essentially. And so you don't have the games that go in like the 18th inning and things like that where a runner starts on second base, so there's a much more, a much higher chance that he's going to end up scoring. So the Royals do end up getting, bringing that guy home. You know, they were in a, another position. They could have scored more, but they, they got the one, which was good, and they go in the bottom of the 10th, up one run, and they bring in Scott Barlow, who is their closer. He's been their best reliever, uh, along with Chapman this year. And Barlow, you know, Someone gets out. I don't remember the exactly pitch by pitch what happens, but somebody gets out. Marcus Simeon, the base runner, moves over to third, and there's one out. And somebody hits a pop-up kind of down the left field line, and Bobby Witt Jr., the the future star of the Royals, runs and makes an incredible play. Just he The shortstop, he runs all the way over to the left field line, like halfway out in the outfield, and it makes this crazy sliding bucket catch that I thought there was no way he was going to get there, but he did, and he got there. And he caught Marcus Simeon in a weird spot where he's like he wasn't tagging up, so he had to get back, and he wasn't able to go score. And so we're in a spot now. It's like, oh, the Royals—they just need to get one out, and they win the game. And you know, the next pitch, maybe not the next pitch, next batter, one or two pitches in, just two more fastballs from who the Royals. Who you know, we talk about being the best Royals reliever, just two more fastballs right down the middle, um, or very hittable locations, and. The guy hits a single right up the middle, and the, and he scores. So we're in a spot like the Royals just went through all that. They 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 battled against Degrom. They came back in the eighth. They came back in the ninth. They sent it to extra innings. They put themselves in position to win. They went up a run. They made an incredible defensive play to to get them to where they only need one out to win the game. And then a weak little single, the next batter gets through the infield, and they tie it up. And it's like man. Well, maybe maybe next inning, you know, maybe maybe they got a little momentum because they, they get the great play. Uh, one more guy gets on base after that, and then two batters later, Jonah Heim just hits a walk off nuke, it's something like 430, 440, just a no doubt home run to walk the game off, and the Rangers win again. And so, I, I tell you that story just it's just a very typical Royals way to lose, you know where you go into the game like not expecting much and then they actually you're like you know what that wasn't they're they're doing well better than i expected and they come all the way back they get your hopes up and and they take the lead in the extra innings (laughs) and and everything's lining up they need one more out and then just a couple bad pitches and all of a sudden they lose eight to five and that's the game you know and so it's just uh i don't know it's frustrating as a Royals fan it feels like they're much more worried about moving the stadium downtown making more money than they are actually putting a good product on the field uh so yeah definitely frustrating as a fan not that the the 
stadium location really matters to me all that much right now, seeing as I don't live in Kansas City. But, you know, as a fan, of course, I still want to see relevant baseball. I want to see the Royals playing relevant baseball games again. That was such a fun time in 14 and 15 uh, when, when they played in games that mattered, you know. And I just haven't seen that since then. So kind of a bummer, uh, but also kind of funny just the way that the Royals lose these games. Like they've got talent, but that's the Royals have had talent for two decades now. That's been that's been the the whole thing of forever. Like, oh, the Royals, they've got these great young players. Just give them a couple of years. I'm like, well, I've been giving them a couple of years, and here we are. I'm still waiting uh, like several generations of players later. And so anyway, I don't want to get on a long rant about the Royals. Um, but it, it is one hand sad, also kind of funny though, of just the way they're losing games. Um, so who knows at what what you know at what point the Royals finally do break through, and it's like these young players finally become the players that we were promised. You know, the next generation of great Royals baseball on their way. Who knows when it's going to be here though? I sure don't. Anyway, moving on now. Um, kind of a quicker show. We've only got a couple things left. I wanted to mention, I wanted to give a plug to a, a video game that I'm playing right now that I have really been enjoying for something, a reason I wasn't expecting, right? So MLB The Show 23 is, is uh, I play MLB The Show and I play Madden and I play NBA 2K. I play all those sports games and I typically, I'm on a cycle of I buy every other one and so, you know, I don't, I don't get every single edition of them but I, i'm currently on now playing mlb the show 23 and i it's a game i really enjoy playing regardless by itself um just it's a it's a good game for players who don't want to spend money on the game you know they, they set it up so you don't have to be a you know it's not a pay to win type of game for no money spent players there's a lot you can do and there's a lot of options a lot of fun stuff to do in the game but the big thing that i wanted to to touch on was they added a game mode um, kind of in commemoration of the Negro Leagues. And it's, it's like a whole separate game mode for the Negro Leagues. And they have it set up in a way you you kind of, you get a little, I guess, I don't know if I'll call it a history lesson, but you get kind of like a, a little snippet, a little video um, where, so they have eight different specific players that they have a whole background on. Um, and, and they have like a whole series of videos for each one of these players, guys that a lot of people haven't heard of, you know? And so there, there's a video series on Satchel Page. There's a video series on Rube Foster, a, a video series on Hank Thompson and so on and so forth. And then Buck O'Neill and different guys who were Negro league legends, you know? And, and so what MLB, the show has done, San Diego studios has done is like, they've, partnered with the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City to give some of these unsung heroes some praise, you know, and, and kind of, you know, shine a light on their name a little bit in a way that they weren't able to because they played the Negro Leagues, right? Like some of these guys eventually at the end of their careers were good enough that they, you know, they, they made, they were able to play in the MLB, but for most of them, their, their prime, their best baseball they ever played was when they were in the Negro Leagues. And, you know, that given, you know, on top of the fact of just the, the state of America at that point in time and just the, the laws of segregation, all those other things, they, those players were not celebrated in the way that other guys were, 
you know, other great baseball players in their time were other white players. And so all that to say, there, there's a, a really cool thing that San Diego Studios has done with this game of really taking time to, you can focus on all these different players and, and, and go through little mini video series explaining um, wh- where you have kind of a narrator, forgot his name off the top of my head, uh, but but he's sitting. He, he's kind of a little interview setting in the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City, where he he's explaining things about these players. And there's there's a ton of cool stuff, that got, things I had no idea, and and things you know he he just kind of gets to walk through their careers and how they got started and some of their 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 biggest moments and things they were known for and all these different things. And I'm like, it's actually so cool. I, I've I've like I really enjoyed getting to learn just about some of these. Uh, these players who who played in the Negro Leagues, and then for some of them, they were able to go on to play in the MLB. Um, but I, I've learned a lot, and I I, I consider myself to be a, a sports historian, and so to be able to learn about a lot of the stuff that is not necessarily like looked at, you know, not common knowledge of a lot of these guys, because again, just the nature of the the culture of America back in the back in the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties of the racial state of America, like these guys were not celebrated. Right. Um, and so, you know, it, here we are in some cases, a, a hundred years later, finally getting the opportunity to do that and celebrate them and get these guys, the, some of the praise and the spotlight they deserve. So it's really cool. Um, I, I, I don't know if San Diego studios is going to have some type of way, like, you know, if there's a way to view these, because even if you don't play video games, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't recommend just going to buy the game, spending $70 on the game just to watch these clips. Um, but if you know someone who has the game or if you're able to find somewhere on YouTube, like I'm, I'm what I'm getting at is I'm hoping San Diego Studios has a, a way that you can, maybe they can put the clips together and like make a separate way to watch them on YouTube. Cause it's like, it's really good content. Um, some really interesting stuff, um, that I've really enjoyed learning about. And so, yeah, it's, it's cool stuff. Uh, if you're able to find a way to watch it, I would recommend it. And then, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. So shout out to MLB, the show 23. Um, if you're, if you're thinking about buying a video game, if you, and if you're on the fence about buying this game in particular, I'd recommend it for sure. Um, simply, you know, on top of all the other the fun stuff, the game that you can do, the, this Negro League game mode is really cool. One of the best things um, that's been added to a video game in recent memory. So, shout out to the show. You know, welcome to the show. And then last but not least, office quote of the week. Okay. And this one got me thinking, you know, as I'm talking about the Royals and just kind of talking down on you know I, it sounds bad but it's just it's one of those things that's the the reality of where they are as an organization right now they're down they're not good um and that's kind of what leads me into my quote coming from michael you know where he says it just it seems awfully mean but sometimes the ends justify the mean right and and i think that one that one's pretty true here that ring that rings true in this instance as well and like, man, it might sound mean that I'm, I keep doo-dooing the Royals. I don't know if that's the right terminology, but I keep talking down to the Royals. Like, 
hey, if you want me to quit talking down on you, if you want people to quit, you know, if you want people to keep coming to games, if you want people to keep paying for the the TV subscription to be able to watch the games, be better. You know, that's simple. Spend some money, make things like change something up. Just be better. It's not that hard. Just be better. You know. Anyway, doing my best to not turn it into a Royals rant here to end the show, uh, but it gets difficult this time of year. You know, we get a few weeks in, and it doesn't take long for me to realize that I have I root for one of the worst teams in baseball year in year out. But anyway. That is going to do it for today's episode. A little bit shorter of an episode. Um, again, not quite a whole lot going on as there is, you know, maybe during football season, something like that. Next week, we'll probably take some time to dive in a little bit more into the NBA playoffs. Maybe uh, jump into that some more as it really gets going after the play-in. Talk about predictions, what I think is going to happen, what to expect, things like that. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, hopefully... A little bit more positive something to say about the Royals. So, until that time, I'll see you next time. Y'all are the best. Go Chiefs.